The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Pat Scott. Hey, Pat. Greetings and salutations. And Father Andrew Kinstetter. Hey, Father Andrew. Hello there. Uh, I want to start off by telling everyone about another show on the StarQuest Network they are sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Stargate. And you can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Stargate. Into the seventh Chevron. (laughs) It's a great show. I love that show. Uh, So this time we, well, before we get started about this topic, I just want to, you know, mention to folks in case they haven't heard that the Apple has announced that they're going to have an event in two weeks about from when we're recording this. So September 12th, which is a Tuesday. And rumor has it they might announce a new iPhone, but you know don't don't bet the farm on that. <laughs> Every year they do this, <laughs> <laughs> so they say. You know, um, so anyway, that, so I'm sure we'll, we'll we are planning to talk about their announcements afterward, and you know which phone I'm going to get because uh, the, I'm at the I'm at the phone buying mm. site part of the cycle. So it's very my exciting. For I, I just bought mine recently, so <laughs> too bad for me. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yes, but this week we're talking about email security. You know, we've I've I looked up in our archives and we've kind of brushed against this topic a few times, but we haven't really addressed it head on. This idea of keeping our email secure and the fact is, is the most, I think, my opinion is, the most important thing to keep secure of all of our technology, perhaps, is email. Because your email address is the holy grail of personal information. It is the golden key that unlocks everything, in a, in a sense. Because you're, very often, your email account is the last defense for when you've forgotten the password or if someone's trying to get the password for an account, the, the, the company, you know, the website will email the password, a new password to you. And if someone's got your email account, they've got the ability to get those passwords sent to them. They change it. Now they've locked you out of your bank account, your Facebook, your whatever. So, and your email and your email (laughs) right on top of it. So and then they can pretend to be you to other people and, you know, make make life hell. Uh, So keeping your email secure is very important. It's one of the most important things you can do. Um, And just to give an idea of the importance of it, you know, there was a recent story about how Chinese hackers, the Chinese government was hacking the email account of Commerce Secretary Gino Raimondo, you know, like getting into we hear about this all the time government uh, employees getting you know their their email accounts hacked because getting in there is the first step to getting into everything so uh so we've got a bunch of uh email security tips hints and tips a lot of this stuff will sound familiar because it's similar to other things other places on the internet that we just stay safe but we, we want to bring them up again and the first one the most obvious one the one i say all the time strong and unique passwords and a different mm-hmm. one for each email account. Uh, it, it, that's right there. And 
And of course, because they're strong, unique, and different, you also need a password manager to keep those safe. So, um, yeah, that's I mean, that's the, the the biggest, most obvious one to me, right? Uh, any agreement? Yeah. I, I well, absolutely. I I think it's. I mean, I remember growing up, and and you'd have we we would always have all the passwords written down on a like a sticky note and put above the computer in the cabinet. A password yeah. manager is basically that, <laughs> but a digital version of it. And and no, it just it makes so much sense because we all want to do what's simple and easy, but what's simple and easy is easily hackable and easily guessed or easily cracked in all what the, the the hackers can do. So, and my brain always goes to to spaceballs. If you've ever seen that movie, when it comes to a password, you know one two three four five six. You know, <laughs> like don't do that as your as your as your password. Right. Uh, so so yeah, absolutely. That's that's huge. I would say, like, even if the only thing you did was have strong, unique passwords and put them on a sticky note in the cabinet above mm-hmm. the computer desk, mm-hmm. that's yep. still better than than not. Yeah, yeah. And and the other thing to remember about strong passwords, too, is, yeah, even if you don't have a password manager, you can still make them easy to remember. But it's but it would be helpful to avoid using like real names or, you know, your phone number or you know days. anything real yeah. yeah uh the the i've i've always heard a, a strong uh uh thing to do if you want a kind of a mnemonic device to remember it i used to do this and i'm not and i'm going to say it because i've now since changed my my mnemonic device <laughs> so feel free to use this if you want to at home but it, the idea would be like have a phrase and use the first letter of each word as your base password and like switch things up. So if you've got, so the example that I would use is may the fourth, may the force be with you. You put like capital M lowercase T for may the, and then like for force, you put the number four instead of F and then, you know, capital B, you know, W capital U, and then maybe throw in uh, your, uh, you know, a year or something that that's 1977 or whatever you want to throw in there. And then the idea would be is if you like if you use something complex like that as your base password, and then you add something additional at the end of it for each website. Right. So AM you could, for Amazon, any for Netflix. That's for the simple. It's a simple way to make it unique for most of my clients. Exactly. And and that way, if if a hacker does get your your base password, they're they still have to sort of, they still won't get the password to all the websites because that's unique to each website that you've created. Right, right. You know, if you want a website to help you create strong, unique passwords, whether they're memorable, you know, that they're easy to remember or what, uh, there's a great website, xkpasswd.net. I'll put the link in the show not show notes, but xkpassword.net. And it's xk because it's it's, inspired by a comic strip from the XKCD comic strip (laughs) about strong uh, passwords. And uh, it, it basically, you, you check these, check these boxes for the, the uh, the kinds of, um, how how to put it, like the settings, like, do you want words? Do you want alternating word case? You check off the options and then it will generate a password for you. If you want it to be memorable, like uh, dictionary words, but in strange combinations or that sort of thing that it'll do it for you. So it's a great way to, you know, to create passwords. All good password managers also have a password generator built into them and that sort of thing. Um, And I tell you, it it can be a real pain. Like I was setting up a computer for my daughter 
the other day and, uh, and I needed to log into my Gmail account on this new computer in order to, because it's, she's a minor and she's the Google family thing and I had to approve it, but I had to type in my, my Google password, my Gmail password. And it is so <laughs> long. It is so annoying. And I'm like, yeah. Ugh. but then I was setting up Minecraft on, on their computer as you do. And I needed to log into my Microsoft account and Microsoft says you can put in your password or you could use the Microsoft authenticator app on your phone. And I'm like, and just tap, you know, we'll show you a number and tap the same number when it pops up on the screen. Mm-hmm. So that's a, it's a, you know, a, a two, that's a second factor, which we'll get into in a second. But, um, but j- just to say, even though it's a pain sometimes to have to enter these passwords, you still got it. You still want to have them strong because don't scrimp on this one. The email one is the one you don't want to scrimp on. Right. It's better than the alternative. Yeah. And the one thing I would like to caution against, though, is people will sometimes use a pattern that's really easy to type on a computer and a pain and a half on a cell phone. Mm. So I would suggest, you know, avoiding upper, lower, upper, lower, shift what, you know, that may make it very strong. But it's so hard to type that you're going to get it locked up. Right. Because it's it's just too complex for somebody to type. Now, I have resorted to typing it into a notepad, copy, paste into my, because you can't see it when you're typing it in most websites. Right. Some of them will show it to you and some of them won't. Yeah. So, you know, I yes, I want strong passwords, but I don't want them so complex that somebody can't type them without making a mistake. We right. spent an hour today on somebody's router because they didn't have the stupid password that AT&T puts in. They had three different things that it could have been. And every mm. time it was so easy to slip and put the wrong character. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And, and lock, yeah. So just be careful on that. You know, the, uh, the phrase is really one of the best secure methods. The other is two unrelated words with numbers. And then of course, yep. something for the website would help, yeah. you know, like Amazon, whatever. But uh, the two unrelated words, like, uh, purple banana or uh, hard hard uh, pillow or so, you know something that's not related, something that's that's an opposite or mm-hmm. something like that. That's also very secure. Right, right. Um, so passwords is the first one. The second one I kind of uh, alluded to, which is uh, any type of two factor authentication that they give you, and this can be uh, a two factor like six digit code that's used in like a Google authenticator. There are several different authenticators that they offer, but uh, that can be built into your password manager. But so it could be a code, but it could also be um, uh, an app like Microsoft offers. And if they allow you to do multiple methods, like um, you can set up two factor authentication with the authenticator app and to, um, you know, we, we can phone. also have a backup to another email address or to a phone number. That might be good too. I I don't like the ones where they text you the sec the the code because texting is inherently insecure. It's an insecure system. Um, I I would prefer them to use one of these apps, but right. But better that than no authenticator. Right, exactly. Because right. it's difficult. I mean, yes, you can break SMS and get it redirected, but it's not as simple as as it would be as if you didn't use a two factor. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So two-factor authentication is, if it's available, use it. Use it wherever, but especially on your email. 
And I got another thing to throw in about passwords before uh-huh. we kind of shift off, especially if you use a password manager. Um, this is such a good idea is there, there's usually they, when you set that up, there's a master kind of backup password. Mm. Um, that, that is something to save, throw in your safety deposit box, give to a, a loved one. And I'm thinking, especially for, um, the elderly, like if you, if you end up, uh, passing away and nobody knows your passwords <laughs> because they're super secure, <laughs> Yes, you right. know, ideally you have a way that, that they can use that master password to get into tell your passwords and accounts and, you know, close out what they need to for someone who's, who's passed away. So you know, we want to keep it secure, but we also want to be able to let people in who who we want in as well for those situations. I do re- one of my lawyers recommended the method of if, if you've got a will in your house, you know where folder it's in and you tell your family. OK, also in that folder, just put a copy of your password, manage your password, the, maybe your the code to get into your phone and mm-hmm. maybe even your email password just as another option. But that's where your family members can go to look to get your passwords unlocked for them. Right. And I would mention that we did have an episode tech memento Mori, where we talked about, you know, if, when we die, because we all will someday, um, how to deal with either prepare our tech for other people or be prepared for other people's to deal with other people's tech. It's uh, so if you go to starquest.fm slash T E C one, one eight, the you'll uh, you'll be able to find that, that episode. But that's a really good point. Um, make sure someone else has your master password. Also, backup codes. They, they often get backup codes when you get two-factor authentication. Throw those in your password manager, too. So just in case. So uh, another piece of advice is make sure that if you've – this doesn't really go for browser-based email. But if you have a uh, email app on your phone or on your computer, keep your email apps up to date. Keep your operating system security update keep your devices updated, all those things, because those security holes get found. They need to be patched. This is a general tech thing to do, but you know, this, it applies especially to email. So definitely do that. Um, so as far as e- the email that you receive, that's a, this is a whole nother area that we have to think about is keeping yourself safe from email you receive. So one of the things you to, to be, and we'll, we'll kind of go through this in several different ways, but in general, be skeptical, be skeptical of unsolicited emails, especially that contain links or attachments. I mean, many of us have been on the Internet long enough where we know this, but a lot of people don't <laughs> because they, mm-hmm. people still get caught. Um, so even if it seems all legitimate the time, all the time. Right. So if you and sophisticated, smart people, not just, you yeah. know, unsophisticated, oh, yeah. naive people. So um, if if there's a link in an email, don't click the link. Find out where the like where's the website, and then just go to that you know open your web browser separately and type it in if you can. Um, sometimes there's a link to a very specific thing or whatever, but be very skeptical of links and especially attachments uh, because they very often are if they're it's one hundred percent if they come unsolicited they're probably someone trying to scam you. So that's especially if they one. say invoice or bid or things like that, you know, the generic type of attachment. Right. Then often it's a scam or, you know, oh, by the way, we've charged you three hundred dollars for this thing on your Amazon account. No, they didn't like just ignore it because if it were real, 
someone would be calling you. You know, what I mean? it would be, you know, uh, the IRS isn't calling you to ask, you know, to, to pay your back taxes or get arrested and pay your taxes using a gift card. <laughs> you know, that's not happening. You know, that sort of stuff is is not real. So, um, so this, so that's a more general. So when you talk about specifics, but one of the things is to, um, a lot of email systems now will let you block auto loading of images. So a lot of email comes looking like a web page. It's got, you know, pretty, it's got images and, and HTML and all that sort of stuff in it. But that stuff can sometimes hide uh, malware or bad links. And it can also notify the person on the other end because you've loaded that image that this email account is a legitimate one. It's one that someone's using and therefore they'll, start sending you even more stuff. So uh, you can block auto loading of images and and then you click a button and it will load them for you if you, if it's a legitimate message. Uh, but I will have links for how to do that in Apple mail, in outlook and in Gmail. And I'm sure other systems will be similar. Have similar stuff. Well, I guess it really upsets me that Apple used to automatically block them until you said, look at it or if it was in your address book. And now you have to go through a procedure and and you're going to have the link to that. But just know that Apple Mail used to, and now it doesn't. It used to d- automatically like right. default to not loading the images. Now it defaults to loading the images unless you tell it not to. Yeah, it, that annoyed me when that switched over because, you know, I, I didn't. I didn't even notice when it switched, you know, because I I use so many different email systems. I just was assuming it was still the same way. And all of a sudden I realized, hey, it's yep. not doing it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So uh, there's another one we have to be wary of, Father Andrew. You had some experience with this one. <laughs> yeah, this is probably the the email security area that I have the most experience, but not so much because I've been on the the scammed end of it, but because of uh, the nature of being a priest, I know people who have been scammed. So phishing is the the, the topic that I that I kind of know know a lot of. And, you know, the idea behind phishing, it's spelled with a PH, but it's, you know, it's sending an email, a scammer's sending an email trying to get your personal information, whether through a link or through you respond to them and then email them, you know, your your credit card number or whatever. So they're phishing for for sensitive information to steal from you. And and this is just super, super, super common. And one of the the, the big things to to watch out for you know, we, we've already kind of mentioned it, but if it sounds fishy, it probably is. So, you know, so you want to always just be on, on your guard, you know, if something feels wrong, you know, wait, don't respond, uh, just kind of, uh, check it out legitimately. So there are a number of things that you can do immediately to tell if it's, if it's phishing. And the, the simplest thing is to just look at the, the return ad- email address. What email address was it sent from? You know, if it's sent from Amazon, it's going to be sent from an official Amazon.com email, um, not a Amazon123 at hotmail.com. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and even if you do get an email that you think is from Amazon and it looks legitimately like from Amazon, still, it's better to go to the website, Amazon.com, log into your account, check whatever it was claiming, you know, a failed delivery or whatever, rather than clicking on anything in that email address or that email that was sent just to, to make sure. So, you know, uh, other things to, to point out, too, is, you know, if the grammar and the spelling of the email is off. 
because that's a clear sign that it's coming probably from from, you know, the foreign uh, foreign nations um, who don't know English very well. And likely it's a scam and know that Prince in Nigeria does not have two million dollars. <laughs> I'm sorry. Of but course, it's just... <laughs> now, they're, now they're using A.I. So they may be cleaning yeah, up a lot of yeah, that spelling yeah. and stuff, quite frank, quite seriously. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good point. So. I mean, so yeah, they're 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 getting smarter all the time, and you you just got to be got to be on your toes. The other huge thing about these phishing emails is they typically demand urgent action. So so they're trying to trigger scare you an emotional response. So fear, um, you know, you're going to miss out on something, or I've seen it. Uh, your your package wasn't delivered. And you need to respond right now. And it's and, you know, most most people have plenty of Amazon packages en route. And so it's natural like, oh, shoot, like I I had a failed delivery. I need to do something right now. And you'll click on it. Don't don't ever click on those things. Uh, The other the other one that that often happens in my life uh, as a priest is either I get something so from so-called, you know, my bishop who needs my help. (laughs) <laughs> and won't talk to me on the phone, but he wants, you know, he wants me to go buy gift cards for, for, for these poor families and I need to send it to him. And that's of course to a complete scam. Or I've had parishioners when I was in the parish receive similar emails claiming to be from, from me, the, the pastor. And, you know, I'm too busy in a meeting to, to talk on the phone, but I need your help right now to buy gift cards or um, usually it's, it's to buy gift cards for some mostly legitimate reason there, you know, but it's still vague and ambiguous. So anytime you see those kind of things, just verify in person, give, give the parish a call, you know, I always wondered how do they know you're their priest? Like where, where are they getting this, these connections from? It's kind of my, scary. my assumption, stealing mailing my, lists, yeah. they're stealing yeah, mailing lists or, from somewhere. Yeah. Or, you know, pulling from the website information. I mean, a lot of like our diocese has disabled email links on the website, but you can still clearly see who's pastor of what parish. Right. But then how they're getting my parishioners parishioners. emails. Yeah. That almost sounds like, as I say, a a stolen breached uh, website or, you know, where a list of of, of parishioners is Mm. somewhere. Mm hmm. Yeah. 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 And, and I've had, I've had parishioners fall for it too. So, you know, never always verify in person, go to the office, call the parish office on the phone, you know, do never respond out of emotion, whether it's fear or even a false sense of compassion for, for whoever you're, you're trying to help. Those are all tactics of, of fishers. Um, the other thing to do is, is don't respond when you're tired. Uh, my, mm-hmm. my dad fell into one because he woke up in the middle of the night and saw a notification on his phone that something was, was wrong with one of his accounts. And after he signed in, he then realized exactly what had happened. And thankfully he was able to change his password right then and there and, and didn't get anything stolen. But he called me the next morning and was like, you know, did I do everything right to <laughs> prevent this? And and I said, yeah, you know, you change your passwords and everything. You should be fine. Just watch, watch your accounts. But the, the key was, is he responded when he was half, half asleep. Right. And so he wasn't thinking. Nothing is that urgent. <laughs> right, yeah. right, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. This. Yeah. I had a lawyer that yeah. lost $70,000 because he responded to a phone call when he was tired. 
Yeah. And he and they tricked him into thinking it was a bank that was needing verification of an employee that was a fraud, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It was awful. Well, yeah. and, and even and emails so, will, 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 will do something like that, be supposedly yeah. from your bank, and then have a phone number that you call that number and it's not the bank. It's the, the scammer. But they answer so, like it is. <laughs> they, exactly. Exactly. So, so never, never go through the email to verify these things. Always go call nope. your bank directly, mm-hmm. call the parish church Use directly. The number on your statement or something like yep. that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh, don't Google it. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. And we've talked about, the, I had, I got the, someone tried to scam me recently on my, uh, Apple card account, uh, and, and I talked about some of this, you know, about not you know, taking the calls when they ask for your two factor authentication, you never give it um, all that sort of stuff. So um, definitely those all that sort of stuff still applies that, you know, you just don't give that stuff out. I've I've seen things um, and not personally, but I've heard stories of things happening where someone is is like talking to you through Facebook or WhatsApp or some other third party messaging system. And they they're they're trying to log into your account, and it's sending you the the one being scammed your two factor authentication text message, and they're then asking you through the messaging app for that text number. Right. Never give that out because right. that is completely their way. They're trying to log in as you, and then use you with your phone, and re- you who received that that two factor authentication. They want you to give. They want you to give them that number. Right. And then they have access to your account and everything. So, and when that pop the notification pops up on your phone, it will say, "Don't give this to anyone." And you'll say to them, "It says don't give this to anyone." They say, "Oh, just ignore that." And people yep. will just ignore it. Yep. <laughs> don't yep. listen to the person on the phone. Pay attention yep. to the message that your computer is trying to help you with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, some other things. Um, there's there's a lot of the uh, phishing problems that we, we get into, but I want to kind of talk about some other email specific ones. And one of those is about using email on uh, public Wi-Fi. Um, there's it, it's one thing if your if your phone is on a Wi-Fi on a, on Wi-Fi at the cafe at the, the coffee shop, and you're looking at the mail app on your phone mm-hmm. that's already logged in. Like it's already just downloading email. That's a little different. What I'm saying is, is if you are on your computer or on your phone and you're logging in for the first time, like in a web browser on your phone, you're probably okay on public Wi-Fi. But it's another step you may want to take. You may want to, in general, just when you're on public Wi-Fi, use a VPN, a virtual private network, to, to create a secure tunnel for you through their Wi-Fi onto the internet, just as an extra security. But even more importantly, with uh, public computers, like when you go to like a, a at a library or you know a com- internet cafe, if those even still exist anymore, hotels, uh, business center, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be very careful about using those, entering passwords into those devices because those computers could be infected with keyloggers, which record everything you type or other types of malware, packet sniffers, all that sort of stuff. You got to be careful with that sort of thing. So be very careful using public Wi-Fi or public computers. Right. It's safer to use your cell phone on cellular to get to your email or banking or that type of thing than it is a public Wi-Fi for sure, unless you've got a VPN. Right. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Right? A VPN is a great thing to have. Uh, a reputable one. Don't don't download random VPN apps from the no. the app store, but get something like ExpressVPN, yep. uh, Encrypt, which comes with the Eero. Um, yeah, you know, there's there's various VPNs out there. Some of the antiviruses have a VPNs that you can do, get as an add-on, right. you know, price. Yeah. Nord VPN, I've heard a lot about too. It's another one, right? Um, so so that's good. Uh, you can what this a security step that you can take that's a little bit more advanced is end-to-end encryption, where you where you basically on your side you encrypt the email, and then your the recipient has to decrypt it, and that requires things like public and private keys, and it's it's going to be very specific between two people. Like it's uh, the person on the other end has to know that they're going to need to decrypt. It's a bit of a more advanced technique. I don't want to necessarily get into it now, but. Um, it's just something to think about if you, if you find yourself like you, you have to, um, exchange secure information a lot. You're a journalist, you're a doctor or a lawyer, uh, priest, (laughs) you sometimes have to share secure information, um, uh, counselors and therapists and that sort of thing. And so if that's your profession, you, you might already know about that, or you've, you will hire somebody to help you do it because that's. Sort sort of thing you'd need to know, but I think most people probably don't need this kind this secure email at this level. Um, well, if you have a recurring need for it, then if I think we've talked about things like Proton and a couple of the other ones that it, if both people are using them, it's encrypted. Yes. And if if only one person's using it and you're just sending out, then just remember that even though it's a secure email system. If the other person isn't using that same system, it's not going to be encrypted. So you can't count on, I'm using a secure system, and send out something to somebody. Uh, I want to keep, keep moving through this because I realize we've only gotten partway through our list and we've, we've gotten a half hour. <laughs> right. So I want to make sure we, we hit a couple of these because they're really important. Uh, one is make sure that you have account recovery options set up. Most email providers have a way for you to get back in your account that is not logging with a username and password, but will be like a phone number, another email address that is not part of that provider. (laughs) Like if you have a Gmail account, don't give them another Gmail address as your backup, set up another email account somewhere else. Could be a work email. It could be something else, but just use another system uh, so that you have a backup to get into your email. That's very important. Um, And multiple ones. If you have, if you, if they let you put in multiple phone numbers, put your phone number, your spouse's phone number, your brother's phone number, like just multiple ways to get in, just in case. Um, so let's talk about filters and spam protection. Pat, do you have a little bit to say about that? Uh, setting up filters and and spam filters for for folks. Right. Uh, so basically, a lot of times uh, you will get uh, an email program that doesn't do very good. Uh, filtering of spam. And uh, so you can set up your own filters to say, well, if it's coming from this domain or if it's coming from with this topic, put that into the spam folder or put it into a check it please folder. And that's really helpful. I've got several senders that they don't think they're spam, but I've never signed up for them. And so I don't really want to get all these things for a for other churches and mailing lists, you know, it's that type of thing. So I set up filters that if it's coming in, just delete them. 
you know, so I don't even have to worry about them because I've tried reporting the spam a bunch and it doesn't seem to help. Mm. So now different email programs have g- good and better methods of filtering. Some don't have any. I couldn't find very many good filters in Yahoo. Gmail is great at mm-hmm. setting up filters. Yeah. And you can say, take this example of email and you go over to say, I want to create a filter from this email and it'll create all the criteria. And then you just say, you know, I'll put it in spam or put it in a special folder. And that really helps a lot of my people who can't get rid of recurring spam and it's just bothering them. That's good. So, so that and um, let's see, filter spam. Um, as I say, if you have a program that you're using on your own computer, sometimes Outlook, uh, Apple Mail, they have filters you can set up as well. They don't give any feedback to the company that you're getting your email through that this is spam, however. Right. So so if you mark it as spam, it doesn't let the rest of the world know that's spam and it won't block, it won't put it in spam if you go to the website. Right. So... That's right. So if I'm in Apple Mail and I've got my and I'm checking my Gmail account, I can mark something as as junk mail and we'll put it in the junk mail folder. But that only works on that computer and that email program. It doesn't mean that it, Gmail will put it in, the, in its junk mail folder or anything like that. That's right. true. Right. Very good. Good point. So okay, uh, that's really enough on that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so. Backups, backing up your contacts, backing up your email. Those are both important. I'll have links to guides from Apple to back up the contacts uh, app on your uh, Mac or your uh, iPhone or iPad. Um, Also, how to export contacts in Outlook. Uh, You can also export Gmail contacts uh, through their web browser. Um, uh, There's uh, some instructions uh, that um, I think, Pat, you put that those instructions in the. So, um, yeah, it's kind of convoluted, but if you go to contacts.google.com and then there should be a, you you look at the menu bar and there should be a symbol that looks like an up arrow in a flat box. And then you just select that and you export it as like a CSV or something like that. And that would be portable to other programs too. But you could, Mm -hmm. what it does is in case something happens to your email account, you've saved all your contacts so that you could re-upload them uh, again. Yeah. Yeah, I've had several clients that lost co- their ability to get into their Gmail or to their Yahoo or to whatever, and all their contacts were in there. They had nothing. They had no way to to get any of it back. Yeah. So backups, 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 as we always say. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can back up your email. There's, uh, I'll have some links to how you can back up email from Gmail, Apple, and Outlook. And uh, I'll, even, I'll include a, a program called Eagle Filer, which is... Uh, a little bit more comprehensive mail archiver for Mac that lets you you know, save and organize lots of email. So if you have, if you get if you get and save lots of email, uh, I generally try to delete as much as I can. But if you, if you're an email hoarder, uh, this will help you with that. Uh, you know, some jobs require it, so that's um, no no judgment. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Um, so and then I want to mention a few of the email providers. The these are providers that provide. Uh, they, they advertise themselves as secure email. Like they do, a, the security is their thing. Pat, you mentioned Proton Mail. They've come up before. Um, there's another one called Zoho Mail and one called Mailbox.org. I know that Proton and Mailbox.org are both based in Europe where they have much more stringent data security laws. And that's to your protection. 
uh, in good. general. <laughs> so uh, that 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 makes it better. Uh, Pat, you had a few other things you wanted to mention about um, way, getting you know multiple ways to get into your email. Yes, I have a lot of clients that have email on their computer, say maybe Outlook, and then something happens to that computer and they are in terrible trouble because mm. they don't have any other way to go get their mail. So my feeling is, is that you should have at least two methods that you use all the time, one on the phone. You know, some of my my clients don't want mail on their phone. They think, well, it's going to clutter it up. I say it's an emergency measure, mm -hmm. if nothing else. So on your phone and on the computer or maybe in uh, Outlook and in uh, the on the Web, like if it's a Gmail account or an Apple account or whatever, you can go get those directly off the off the Web. If it's a business mail sometimes that's harder there's not as many easy ways to go to those accounts from another uh, spot so but if you could even say well i've got it on this computer uh in outlook and maybe i've also got it in thunderbird or or on another computer two different ways that at all times you know you can get to your mail right right that's a good point and um always always have your your email password available to you when you're out and about. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, you never know when you're going to need to have to get in back into your email. Um, so make sure that's a, a portable thing. You know, it's on your phone for, for, for shorthand. Um, we usually have our phones with us. Um, and then do you had another suggestion about having a second email account? Oh yes. Uh, I, I have a lot of clients who only have one email account. Something happens. They're locked out. They can't get, any information out of their system, you know, they they can't do it. So maybe one Hotmail, one Gmail, or one, if you're still on Roadrunner, open up a Gmail account so that you have two ways that you could send a message and have stuff sent to you in case your primary gets trashed. Right. And then you can imp import your contacts a database, like we mentioned before, into the secondary and email right. all those people saying, by the way, <laughs> my regular email account. I no longer have that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, good, good. Uh, so that, a lot of good information there, a lot of good tips. Um, there's probably even more that we could uh, delve into. And if uh, listeners have suggestions for better email security, we'd love to hear them. If you have specific examples, anecdotes, stories of uh, you losing security or your security saving you, we'd love to hear those. And you can let us know by emailing technology at sqpn.com. So I want to quickly move to thank our patrons before we move on to uh, thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Angie T, John H, Mark S, Thomas D, and John B. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So uh, we have some headlines we'd like to discuss. And our first headline of the week is uh, from the Washington Post, which says, you can say no to a TSA face scan, but even a senator had trouble when he did. Yeah, they didn't finish the sentence, but when he did. Uh, so the TSA has been testing use of facial recognition software to verify your traveler information. It's supposed to make things faster. You know, it's like um, clear and... What was TSA pre-check. 
Preach that. Thank you. TSA Preach Act. Which is, which is wonderful, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and so it's supposed to speed up the whole security uh, thing. Uh, but yeah. some people don't like facial, facial recognition, facial ID, uh, especially a government one, um, which is understandable. And we've talked about the problems with facial recognition in the past. But um, so th- when you go to the airport and they want and you they are testing it at that airport and they say, do would you like to do it? If you opt out, you might end up having a problem. Um, it's what's happened here is if you decline a TSA agent supposed to verify your identification, like we've always done. Um, but when Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon uh, said no to the face scan at Washington's Reagan National Airport, where where you are, Father. Um, he was told it would cause a significant delay. Uh, oh, you know, if you don't do the face scan, you might miss your flight. Uh, well, the senator threats, yeah, uh, showed his photo ID and cleared security. But um, it's kind of interesting. This uh, the technology is interesting. Would you want to get your face scanned by the TSA to make it easier? and faster to get through um you know, would you trade off the the government having this face scan of you versus faster i don't i i'm not on board with it and it, it, i i don't think it saves that much time of course i've never i've never yet experienced it but i mean still you you walk up to tsa and they run your driver's license and it takes you know 20 to 30 seconds i mean it's it's really so. So it's going to save me an extra ten seconds in the long run. At most, I'd rather <laughs> I, I would rather wait an extra ten seconds and have all of our faces uploaded into a government database. <laughs> Which, to be fair, if you have a driver's license, your face is already in government database. But uh, true, true. <laughs> but regardless, uh, the, the, your first point I think is true, which is it's not that fast, much faster. So why are we doing this, um, Pat? What do you think of this? Yeah, I know that there's been a lot of controversy over facial recognition because of uh, it isn't as accurate in recognition in in non-Anglos. Very often there's a misreading and and misidentification. So I think unless the technology is 100 percent accurate, it doesn't do any good anyway. It causes more problems, I think, until they get it so that it's it's better. Even at that, yeah, I I I don't think I saw people using clear with at at the uh, airport, and yes, it was you know they put their their face down and then they walked on through, but it wasn't that much longer as as Father says for yep. pre TSA. And so. and I have to wonder, are computers going to be better at verifying ID than just a person looking at the ID? I I don't know. I mean, I feel like the the potential for error is much higher with a with the computer check than it is for a human being can, we we are built to recognize mm-hmm. faces that's just the one thing we're good at <laughs> yep. and uh and i just computers aren't yet and i just feel like you're looking at an well, idea and looking at a person is much better than a computer doing that well and it's not just the face they're looking at it's your you know your stance your your expression yeah. there are other things that could be give them giving them clues about whether this is a valid person mm-hmm. that facial scan isn't going to do that that's right that's true yeah uh and so that plus the fact that they're telling people that this optional thing is mandatory when it really isn't and 
causing. I think that's that's a bit of a problem. Yeah, like, yeah. You're you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna <laughs> potentially miss your flight. Is is basically saying, yeah, it's optional, but if you want to make your flight, you got to do it. And I don't <laughs> I don't like that at all. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So our next headline is from the Guardian in the UK, and it 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 brings up an interesting phenomenon, which I think is true. Which is we used to check the weather every day. Now it's every minute. How we got addicted to weather apps, and they kind of get into the point that people have become kind of addicted to the weather apps. They're constantly checking the weather. What's the weather doing now? It's raining out now. I I have a weather app on my phone that tells me it's going to rain in six minutes. Honestly, will it? I don't really need to know that unless I'm going to be outdoors in six minutes. I I have the widget, so all I have to do is glance at my phone, and I can even see the, right. the yes, I have right, that. right, right now. Yeah, I do too. And, you know, honestly, I really do check my weather app a lot. I mean, I remember as a kid, you'd watch the evening news at six o'clock and the weatherman would come on and give tomorrow's forecast. That would be that. And maybe you turn the radio on on the AM and they would give you the weather, you know, you know, every once in a while. But we're kind of obsessed about the weather with now that we have these apps. So why do you think we're so obsessed with weather? One of the one of the things that that they alluded to or pointed out in that, that article that I thought was interesting was the need for control. And, mm-hmm. and they pointed out the, the fact that we, we went through a pandemic and we just like, as a, as a people, as a world, we sort of just felt that we were thrown into kind of chaos and didn't know what was coming next. Didn't know, you know, right from left, what was going to happen. And so like knowing what's coming, even if it's just whether it's going to rain this afternoon or not, gives was giving people a a sense of of being in control in an uncontrollable world mm. and and so i i i think we can all all relate to that i i think maybe there's there's probably healthier outlets um there's definitely more unhealthy <laughs> outlets <laughs> right 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 but but you know it's i mean there's it's i mean we still can't control the weather even if we know what's coming but but there's right. still that that sort of desire to to control and and well, actually, I, sometimes you know, it's actually there, there's there's a goodness even kind of from a spiritual per- perspective of sometimes we have to just kind of let go and let God and <laughs> you know yeah so. But in some ways, it's a, it a little bit like well, we're kind of predicting the future. Let's see if it's yeah. going to happen yeah. because yeah. I've heard people say it says it's going to rain in six minutes, and then they go look and see. You know, it's <laughs> like we want to see there's something dependable right. because right. we've always said the weatherman wasn't dependable. Right, right. <laughs> and yeah. the other thing, it gives you bragging rights. We've had five 108 temperature yeah. this week, you know, and people talk about that because they've got the weather right there on their app that they can see. There's There's a bit of... Like that, but also I think like a bit of wallowing in in the bad weather too. We can do that. We can, mm-hmm. you know, oh look at this forecast. It's horrible. Oh, you know, and we talk. You know, what do we all talk about? We all talk about the weather. Yeah, everyone. You know, everyone talks about the weather. No one does anything no. about it. Is the old saying. And uh, <laughs> the so there's that. There's also, of course, the climate change fears that a lot of people, a lot of us have, which is, you know, is the climate's changing? How does it affect us? And so much of the news is focused on climate. And so we're always paying even more attention to weather, I think, because of that. Uh, so there's, yeah. there's an element of that. I think they feed each other. Um, I'll tell mm-hmm. a quick story. I was camping, uh, summer camp with the kids a couple weeks ago. And uh, where we were, 
is kind of prone to really bad weather in central Massachusetts. In fact, when I got back, someone told me, oh, yeah, there was a huge tornado that went through that some, that camp back in the 60s or something like that. Uh, I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's good to know. Uh, but while I was there. Wish I would known that earlier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was kind of worried about the wet bad weather there before we went. But it turns out uh, while I was there and poor Melanie, my wife, was home alone in the house. Uh, some storms came through and a tornado came half a mile away from our house in suburban Boston, Massachusetts, like the, like the suburb, half a mile away, we had a tornado and the poor, poor Melanie was like texting me, what do I do? Where do I go? I'm like, you're from Texas. You should know what to do with tornadoes. (laughs) (laughs) I only know hurricanes and blizzards. (laughs) Find a room without a window. That's the main thing. I was like, dive in the tub and pull a, mattress over you or something i don't know <laughs> so yeah she's lived through a couple of of tornadoes here in, in austin so <laughs> that's right so yeah. um but we're all yeah so it's funny we're, my kids on their phone are constantly looking at the weather apps i'm like you're you're here all day they're homeschooled you know it's like where are you like what do you care about the weather they just they just want to know so just look outside of, yeah, exactly yeah. <laughs> go out the window but you can't see what's in the next town if you're looking that's true outside. that's right that's right all right. So uh, the last headline is just satisfying. Um, have, have any of you received one of those? We've called you about your car's extended warranty. Well, <laughs> you'll be glad to know that the SEC has handed out a historic fine to the robocaller company who made over five billion auto warranty calls. That's right. So they issued a three hundred million dollar fine against this um, these robocall operation. Lord knows if they'll be able to actually ever get it out of them. Probably not. But um, the they they worked. The FCC worked with a bunch of the cell phone companies to block five billion of the calls. They blocked five billion calls. It, we don't know how many they actually made. Then. I mean, well, right. I mean, look yeah. how many got through. Uh, they yeah. said yeah. they eventually helped decrease the number of auto warranty calls by ninety nine percent. Which honestly, I haven't received one in a long time. Uh, I don't know if other people have, but so. Um, it's it's good. So the apparently the people behind it are uh, already under lifetime bans from making telemarketing calls. Uh, their names Yay. are Roy Cox and Aaron Michael Jones. Shame. Uh, so, <laughs> so I just I feel like the uh, the the whole this whole robocall thing is just it is one of those things in society. It's not the worst thing in the world. It's just one of those grinding annoyances that we just mm-hmm. all have to deal with on a constant basis. Uh, I shouldn't have to put my phone on. Don't ring if it's an unknown caller all the time, right. you know, because I, I actually yeah. miss calls that I want that way. But, the ha- you know, I had to because it was just my phone was ringing constantly. All right. What do you all think? I applaud them catching them. <laughs> and uh, once in a while, you'll see where they took down a big spam operation and it'll decrease for a little bit until they open it up somewhere mm-hmm. else. But, you know, I'm just so glad that there's some teeth that they could use to shut them down. Yeah. Yeah. So they, yeah. now they if they were say, out of country, they can't. Right. They did say that if they don't pay the fine, they'll be referred to the U.S. Department of Justice for collection, uh, you know, prosecution, Yay. which. Yeah, 
I know we don't do tar and feathering anymore, but, you know, I could make an exception. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not fond of, of doxing, going after people, but maybe they should be, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, don't take me seriously, people. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Oh, man. So uh, good on good on the FCC in this case yeah. for, for getting these guys off our back. All right. So those are our headlines this week. Let's um, quickly move on to our picks of the week. Father Andrew, you're up next. Uh, what is your pick this week? My pick this week is something uh, just fun. At least I think it's fun. Um, for those of you who are nostalgic for the Windows 95 and prior eras, uh, there is a free uh, software called DOSBox. And it's a DOS emulator, and it works on Mac, it works on Windows. I'm pretty sure there's a bunch of different downloads for, for Linux as well. So it's completely free. You download it, and you, too, can experience the joy of typing in commands into not just the command prompt in Windows, but actually a fully-fledged uh, DOS uh, emulator. And the, re the reason why I use it, and I have it on my computer, is I have uh, a number of games that were DOS-based. Uh, Space Quest 4 being my, my uh, highest highest prized, uh, and I still have my CD for it. And so the, the fun thing actually for, for me and for those who like retro gaming and DOS, you, I, I just copied the files from the CD, put it into a folder on the computer, and then in the, the DOS emulator, you can tell it to treat that folder like a CD. And so then it knows, it knows how to read it, can install, you know, just as if you were installing um, into a, an actual DOS uh, on an on a old computer. And then even it'll play the game and use that folder as a CD drive. And uh, it works flawlessly. It it's really scratched. fun. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so, cool. Uh, That's yeah, cool. just, just uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, I've used DOSBox before for a couple of things that were very specifically old programs that yep. I needed to run or wanted to run, but a lot of them <laughs> were games, I'll have to admit. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think kids who are into computers now should every once in a while dig into these old systems and see the way it was. Uh, oh, and, the and the, there's another cool one, Dom, I think you would love called Star Trek A Final Unity. Ooh. And what's so cool familiar. about it is the entire TNG cast did the voice acting for it. So there's voice acting. You control the entire TNG crew, and it's a it's a really there's a Romulan invasion and a there's it's me and my brother used to play that for hours and hours and hours. And it's a really it's a fun it's a fun story. It takes you a really long time to complete it. You go to a ton of different worlds and it plays out as if it's a just one really long Star Trek the next generation um episode. Like it starts oh, wow. off with the captain's log and the even the, the title of the game shows up as if it's the title of the episode in the opening scene. And, so, and the, the graphics are really cheesy, but oh, they yeah. are really fun. Oh, it's really fun. So where are you finding the games that you're able to do? These, if you... these are games that I've that we've had since I was a kid. So unfortunately, I, I'm assuming there's probably places where you can find some of these I games. I think there are some things online um, that you can go find some stuff, but I just didn't yeah. know whether that's where you found them. Yeah, no, we still have the CD. So, and and for those that that do need or want a CD, you can you can often find them on eBay for like you know five bucks from people who are selling them. From but there there's probably an online place to find some of these too. But I don't want to say any because I don't know if I don't know which ones are legit right. and right. which ones will download malware or do something bad to your computer. Yeah, okay. emulator is fun. Just 
yeah, go. We talk about them a lot on this show, but you know, they're just, mm-hmm. it's fun to kind of, you know, see the way things were. I, I like, I like that. Yeah. All right. And, and uh, old games are still fun. They, they're a work of oh, art, even with yep. more primitive graphics and whatnot. There's, they can still be fun. There, there's almost a, almost, I don't know, in my mind, almost there's a better sense of artisticness to some of the way that they had to like, they, they were limited in what they could do and what they did with that limitation was just phenomenal. Yes. Yes, constraints often make better art. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's for sure. So, Pat, what's your pick this week? Well, I do a lot of things where I carry pieces of, you know, like external hard drives or things from one place to another while I'm helping people with their computers. And so many people are getting newer computers with a USB-C only on their on the the laptops uh so i found these you know but i may need to plug in a, a hard drive that had a usb a type connector so I, they're just some little simple plugs that basically let you plug a usb a and, and puts out a usb c so you can plug it into your computer now there are hubs that do the same thing but these were just really tiny little plugs and make it real easy to stick them in your purse and carry them with you because I a lot of times I'll be backing up a machine on an older computer that has the older USB and then I need to plug it into a new computer and it's got only the USB-C so right just keep in mind that these are adapters they don't make it faster or no (laughs) they they won't speed it up now this one is a USB-C and a USB-3 so it's faster than some of the ones out oh, there that good. were just hubs that were a USB 2. So there's so. a link to an Amazon Basics USB-C Type-C to USB 3.1 adapter. And then they have like male to female and, you know, both both ways and all that sort of stuff that you can find on there as well. But this these will have a couple links to some examples of ones. Uh, that's good. I'm, I'm going to need a lightning to USB-C adapter when the new iPhone 15 comes out. <laughs> well, then Anchor's got them. Exactly. <laughs> and, and I think Amazon Basics also has yeah, one. The, I'm going to guess there's going to be a lot of them as people are going to be. The rumor is that US, the iPhone 15 will be USB-C uh, when that right. comes. So uh, speaking of Apple things, uh, as I do, eh, I last week my pick was the uh, Apple Magic Keyboard with Touch ID, which I, I have love it's become a wonderful wonderful keyboard for me especially that touch id part but one of the things i love that i love about apple that you know because i'm an apple nerd is how all of their stuff kind of fits together and did you know that the trackpad and the keyboard are like the same width dimension they're like the same you know the same and so if you get this uh, device from 12 south the company's 12 south called the magic bridge you can put your keyboard and the trackpad in it together so that they're not like all, you know, helter skelter all over your desk. They're nice and neat together <laughs> and they're packaged and it makes your desk look all Apple-y and stuff. Uh, <laughs> I'm, who am I kidding? My desk is full of junk anyway. But I like having the uh, the the track, the magic trackpad and the magic keyboard together and not, you know, the the trackpad going off somewhere else <laughs> on its own uh, to keep them together. And what's nice is they give you access so that you can re- get to the power buttons and the uh, US, the, the lightning ports, because these are still lightning, uh, the lightning mm. ports to recharge them and all that stuff easily. I mean, it's, 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 it's mainly decorative in the sense of it, it, it doesn't have a lot of functionality but I, I find it keeps my desk neat and keeps things where mm-hmm. they need to be so I can actually 
you know, reach well, out without oh, having to look at them while I'm podcasting. That's, that's that's the well. There's the functionality. Is if it keeps your keeps you more efficient. That's right. Right. I'm definitely more efficient. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you can put the trackpad on the left or on the right, depending on whether you know what your preference. It is ambidextrous. So, uh, and it's not super expensive. I don't think. Uh, I'm trying to remember what I paid for it. Um, Fifty dollars. They have a smaller one and a larger one. So if you have the extended keyboard like I do with the, the number pad, and they also have a smaller one, which is $40 if you don't have the uh, the keypad, the uh, number pad. All right. So that is my pick of the week, and that will do it for us this time. We would love to know what you think of anything we've talked about. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the StarQuest Facebook page, facebook.com slash StarQuest Media. Send an email to technology at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord where we have a nice robust Secrets of Tech channel. You can find links from our discussion and our picks of the week on our show notes at starquest.fm slash tec224. Remember to like each episode of The Secrets of Tech on Facebook, retweet them on X, <laughs> where we're at yeah. SQPN. Leave <laughs> us comments wherever you find us. And uh, until next time, Father Andrew Kinstetter, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Technology. Absolutely. This has been a pleasure. Pat Scott, thank you as well. Yeah, it's been fun as always. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. Quest.